May I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I must begin this morning with a confession of sorts. I am a woefully incapable wife. Amen. Right on. I do not get my food from far away. The Safeway is a couple minutes from our apartment. I don't make clothes for my family, and nor are they color-coordinated in crimson. I have never considered and bought a field, and I've never planted a vineyard. I can manage a succulent or two and maybe a tomato if I'm feeling saucy, but that's about it. You know, in the life of the church, when we come to readings on Sunday, there are occasions when readings bring things up that just simply must be addressed by the preacher. It would be wrong to not talk about them. And we just have to talk today about this capable wife. And we also just have to talk about those arguing guys following Jesus. Who's the greatest? Man. You know, when I first read this reading in Proverbs, it made the hairs on the back of my neck stick up. And this woman is incredible. She is superwoman. And... You know, as we read scripture together in our life and faith, there are some who would argue that it's not right, that it's wrong for us to bring our modern baggage and our modern vision to this ancient text, that it's not really relevant. But I must disagree with that. It is the Christian tradition to look at these ancient texts and to see how they live and breathe new life into where we are today. It's this practice specifically that brings us closer to Christ. It's this practice that brings us closer to the kingdom of God. So let's take a look at this Proverbs passage. There is some really interesting stuff underneath the surface that I wanted to share with you about it. First of all, the passage that we read is a poem, and it's an acrostic poem, meaning that every line starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So that's why it's a little bit longer. We also find the passage at the very end of the book of Proverbs. And this book is a book about wisdom. And wisdom is personified throughout the book as a female. She is a woman. If you were here in church last week, you heard a passage from Proverbs about wisdom calling out to people, inviting them to her feast. And here, the character of wisdom takes a slightly different tack, sort of a different character. She's a wife, first of all. But it's very important that we point out that she is incredibly wealthy and privileged. She's able to get her food from far away. She has a household of servants that she wakes up in the middle of the night to feed and to direct. She has a lot of money and wealth and privilege so that she is able to do all of these things. The other important thing is that 
in the Hebrew text, you can really see that they use militant language to describe this woman. She's strong, she is fierce. There's uh, words in there about the strength of her hands. You know, she's doing these things. She's got strong arms. We don't usually see that in the Bible when we talk about women. There's also an amazing passage where it says that she girds herself with strength. This is the only time in the entire Bible from beginning to end that a woman girds herself with anything. I mean, that phrase is really reserved for men and it's in the context of battle where they're girding their loins before going out to some imagined victory. The terms are militant. The things that she goes out and gathers are Hebrew words that are reminiscent of booty and the spoils of war. So she's truly portrayed here as a victorious warrior going out and gathering things and gathering the spoils of war. It's fascinating. And yet, while we can see this feminist thread underlying that passage, ultimately, yes, this is a poem that was written by men for men. And it makes us think about the function of this poem. What's the point? Is it really marriage advice? I find it hard to believe that in the book of Proverbs, this beautiful exploration of knowledge and virtue would end with pretty lousy marriage advice, if you ask me. I think any young man who held on to this poem as his standard of excellence for his wife will be looking a long time <laughs> to find Mrs. Wright. So yes, we wonder at this passage. My theory is that perhaps what it is is a way to end this exploration of wisdom as a woman. We hear throughout the book about her virtues, her knowledge, and what we come to at the end is kind of like her to-do list. Now that we understand sort of the theological and the philosophical underpinnings of what wisdom is and what it can be, we end with this practical list of what wisdom does. Maybe. Let's take a moment now to look at our Mark passage, which is so, so wonderful and just one of my favorites in the Bible. Jesus barely finishes telling his disciples about his death. And without missing a beat, the boys are arguing and talking about who's the greatest. Who's going to take over when the leader dies? It's amazing. The text makes very clear that the disciples don't understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about his death and his resurrection. But regardless, they're going to start arguing about it anyway and figuring out who's going to be top dog when all this goes down. It's incredible. Think about these two passages. It's amazing how this ancient scripture speaks truth to our modern context. It highlights the incredible staying power of these two stereotypes that still haunt us today. On the one hand, we have the superwoman who is everything to everyone, 
She's a loving mother, a loving wife, a nine to five worker who gets a piping hot homemade nutritious dinner on the table at 6 p.m. without breaking a sweat or furrowing her brow lest she invite more unsightly wrinkles. On the other hand, we have the cunning and the ruthless man who uses strength and power to achieve, achieve, achieve with the goal of making it to the top of that corporate ladder. Whew. It is exhausting. We cannot be either of these people. I'd like to offer an exercise to all of you. Um, if you have time, the next time you're in your dentist office or in the grocery store, pick up a magazine that is marketed toward the gender with which you do not identify. I will never forget the day when I picked up a men's health magazine and was stunned to see the exact same tactics of shaming, of forcing, of trying to get the reader to fit a particular mold. I was used to that in my women's magazines. I was used to the how to be more beautiful, how to be a better lover, how to be a better cook and understand all the machinations of your family dynamics and your kids. I was used to that, but I had no idea that men were subject to the same treatment that men were given advice on how to get ripped, how to get shredded, how to get ahead in the workplace, how to make money, how to get the women. These stereotypes are real and alive and operating in all of our daily lives and we have to recognize that. And here we are on a Sunday morning, these ancient texts speaking to that. So the question is, what would Jesus say to the capable wife or the modern superwoman? What would he say to the ambitious disciple or the businessman striving for acclaim and success? In other words, what is the good news for us here and now? Well, the good news is that in the kingdom of God, there is no superwoman. There are no top dogs. There is a community of people who strive to serve one another. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. This is why we in churches as Christians gather to serve our neighbors. When we serve a community meal or help a nonprofit pay off its mortgage or offer welcome and ministry to children, we are showing the world glimpses of the kingdom of God. We're showing ourselves glimpses of the kingdom of God. James lends us this beautiful turn of phrase in his letter this morning that describes our modern predicament. He talks about the cravings at war within us. We crave achievement. We crave success. We crave winning at being a woman or being a man. Yet we also crave freedom from these gender stereotypes that tell us we are inadequate. These cravings fight within us and they create 
chaos and discord. If that image of warring cravings resonates with you, I want to invite you to try to follow Jesus' advice. Try being of service in some way. And if you already serve in some way, try something new. Maybe try something that's a little bit outside your gender category or your gender norm, however you identify. Men can arrange beautiful flowers up at the altar. Women can fix toilets. This is the kingdom of God. It's the best way that I know how to bring the kingdom of God closer to our community and closer to our own hearts as individuals. This is the way that we declare peace over the war of cravings within us. Serving others, loving others. This is how we declare peace in the world and in our own lives. This is how we learn that all of us, regardless of our gender, are both capable wives and faithful disciples in the kingdom of God. Amen.